You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is To Stir With Love with Rabbi Yitzchak Kolokowski, the head chaplain, well, I know his title is a lot more fancy than that, of Waymart Prison um, in Pennsylvania. And these are tales from prison itself. Um, well, there's going to be a lot more interesting tales, I think, in prison as uh, the FBI is involved in rounding up uh, based on uh, all the selfies and videos and information that's available uh, from the January 6th riot, insurrection, attack, whatever term you want to use on the Capitol. And they are presently taking into custody many of the people who were parading around the Capitol, um, even the ones who maybe perhaps didn't involve themselves in violence, but definitely were trespassing. Um, we know, of course, of of the uh, the uh, boy, raised Chassidish anyway, who was dressed in the fur pelt. Um, so there's going to be a number of interesting stories. I don't know if I, any of them are going to make it out there to Pennsylvania with you, uh, uh, because you're in a state prison. I think all those, I think all those guys are going to be sent to federal prison because they uh, committed violence and, and trespass on federal grounds. So you probably won't be ministering to them, but I'm sure there's going to be some interesting, uh, stories. Um, I understand there's already, uh, some interesting stories and, what I would like for us to get to is a little bit about, because let's call a spade a spade. You know, if we called the BLM uh, attacks in the summer a riot, this was a full-fledged riot, uh, despite all the simcha that you could see on the faces of the people involved, anger in some places, but simcha. So we're going to try at the end to maybe speak a little bit about uh, riot movies and riot programs or programs that are connected to whatever we're going to talk about. But as we have said, there's going to be some interesting tales. Um, and maybe this, uh, this Hasidic boy, this Mostovsky is going to have a tale somewhere. Um, I know before we started recording, we talked about the, uh, I don't know if you call him a Viking, a barbarian. I'm not sure exactly what he was. I think you told me the, the fellow in the, uh, in the horns, was dressed like an Odinist, right? It's called. Well, well, his his uh, his tattoos certainly were Odinist tattoos. He had three symbols on his bare chest that that we unfortunately had to be exposed to, <laughs> uh, and one one was the Molnar, which is the the hammer of Thor, and one is Yggdrasil, which is the the world tree, and the other is the Volknot which is a symbol of Odin, which is three triangles uh, interlaced. And that is actually the, for some, it's an interesting thing. In the prison where I serve, they they do allow inmates to have a, a necklace with the Volknut and with the world tree, the Yggdrasil, but they're not allowed to have the Thor's hammer because it's seen as a representation of a weapon, whereas other prisons do allow the the Thor's hammer, <clears throat> and it's uh, it's become a a, a subject of religious um, request that the inmates have made that they would like to be able to have the Thor's hammer because they believe it to be a, a a symbol of protection. It's something that can protect them from harm, 
Yes, well, uh, growing up reading uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's <laughs> version of Thor in Marvel Comics, I know that Mystic Mjolnir, if that's the way you pronounce it, wasn't just a weapon. Thor was able to protect the Earth and summon up all the the winds of protection from it. So I, I guess I can understand in their mythology from the way I know about the, the Thunder God and his, his hammer that there's probably some aspect of protection there. I understand our good friend, and we don't call him our good friend, but I guess this most obvious buffoon, and, and I'm going to call him obviously a criminal and a Russia for doing this, but I understand that the, the news has come out that uh, even though he's been in prison, his mother is saying that he has been not able to exercise his religious beliefs there. He hasn't been able to get, according to his religion, he can only eat organic food. I guess that's, is, is that something you know to be true from the Odinists, that they only eat food that, that is free of pesticides? Is that well, part I, of their... I don't know this guy to be an Odinist because actually I, I looked at his Twitter page and he calls himself a servant of God. Uh, it seems like he's invoking a monotheistic God. So it, he's, he seems to just be a, a crazy person. He's just a little <laughs> bit around everything. Like if he, he calls himself a, a shaman and a shaman and he's, uh, he's got, uh, he, he, it's not clear that he really, uh, what he is. And also I read the articles and I, it wasn't so obvious whether or not he was actually making a religious request uh, or it was just a, uh, a health request or a personal preference. And <clears throat> when we when we look at at these types of requests in in Pennsylvania Department of Corrections, which obviously again it's going to be different in the federal system, but when you have requests like this, if it's something that's ex- that's said as a personal preference, that's always denied. If it's something that is said for health reasons, well, that doesn't go to the chaplain; that goes to the medical department. That goes to the to, to the doctors and nurses to decide. And then when it comes to religious requests, that's a bona fide religious request, and then those are the ones that that I would be handling. And and uh-huh. if they come to me with a request and it's presented as a uh, personal preference or as a health request, even if I would say that I recommend it to be uh, to be um, to be allowed to be honored, and then we send it up to a supervisor in house, also echoes my recommendation then we're going to send it to the state capitol they will generally deny it um uh-huh. i see personally well, well i know you're not going to be dealing with them and neither <laughs> i'm sure mostovsky who was also wearing uh pelts he was wearing uh kansadik and pelts is elnished <laughs> but I saw that he was wearing the pelts of uh, various animals as well. I'm sure this idea of, of uh, you know, and, and I, I advise our listeners to listen to my other podcast I have with our mutual friend, Dr. Sam Juni, where we talk about the idea of dressing and what happens in a mob when they dress up. Um, but I know, uh, Yitzchok, that you've had, um, you have had requests of, uh, prisoners asking for a religious dispensation. And uh, I know of a particular case that you have been eager uh, to share with us. And this was a prisoner. Let me just set the table and you can provide all the important juicy details. This was a prisoner who had been arrested um, uh, in the state of Pennsylvania for um, his possession of uh, medical marijuana. He was a Mennonite Christian. 
<laughs> and um, he needed it for some um, chronic uh, pain that he had. And instead of, I guess, appearing for his arrest date and pleading his case, uh, he fled to California, where in California at that time, medical marijuana was illegal. And just like Moshe Rabbeinu uh, staying with Yisrael uh, until uh, he felt as a Mennonite, he would go back to uh, Pennsylvania, which of course does have a strong Mennonite community, and go back to uh, Pennsylvania um, now that medical marijuana was allowed. Unfortunately, as in the case in many uh, situations, at a routine traffic stop where he had done something illegal, uh, causing him to be pulled over um, in his pickup truck by uh, the police uh, when they realized who he was, that there was a warrant outstanding for fleeing the state or for leaving and not showing up. So he was duly arrested um, and sent uh, to your prison. Now, I understand from what you've described to me before is that when he was in prison, he went sort of like, although we who don't know much about the various Christian sects sort of lump these um, uh, Protestant outliers together, there's a big difference between the Frumkite of the Mennonites uh, who are quite religious, and, and although they do have meetings, I know, and they don't necessarily have priests in the same way, and they don't have the, like the Pope uh, that, or belief in a certain uh, universal system, and I know they do uh, meet and discuss the Bible, and they feel that there's some Ruach HaKodesh that can still uh, be elicited. The Mormons, I mean, sorry, the I said Mormons, we're talking about them a different time, but the Amish, or the Pennsylvania Dutch Christians are a sort of a, a, a much firmer version of that type of belief. And from the way I understand that this fellow who has been imprisoned discovered or decided to now adopt the Amish life, to go up in the Madrega, to, to not just be a Mennonite, but to adopt the, the lifestyle and the Hanhogos of the Pennsylvania Dutch, the, the Amish and it was there, and I'll let you take it up in from now, that a situation arose that uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Kolakowski, as the main chaplain, got involved in. So what was that situation that was now, what was his, what was his demand? So this, this was around when I first started working in, at Waymart. Uh, maybe the, within the first month, maybe the first week or two when I was working there and this was the first case of many many different types of religious accommodation requests and the most common religious accommodation request is going to be uh, a diet request usually a kosher diet no matter what religion it is um, but as far as this request this was a unique request and I was really kind of learning the ropes of how to process a religious request and and the way that it came about was really quite heartwarming actually because it, it breaks a lot of the stereotypes that you think about the prison uh prison life and the prison world you kind of think of the guards and we don't call them guards we call them correctional officers as kind of being you know the bad cops they're the ones who are going to be giving you a hard time and the really hard-nosed type people and what happened at least with this particular inmate was that his, the, the guard on his block, the officer on his block, 
contacted me to accommodate to to make this religious request accommodation the accommodation request um in order to save him from from getting more uh, getting in trouble and what was he getting in trouble for was that apparently this fellow refused to use a shower now he it's funny because we're talking about the people with the viking headdress one of the the common uh terms that you'll find in you know i remember you brought up that you know they used to call prison stir and i i had never heard that until i uh until i watched the uh the thin man but well, uh, it better be uh made concrete in your consciousness because to stir with love is now uh incredibly popular podcast that features yeah. you as the main attraction so yeah. you better know what stir is but go ahead so um but but the term Viking is for a person whose hygiene is rather poor, which it's interesting because whatever I've heard is that the Vikings actually had pretty good hygiene for that period in, in, in history. But anyway, um, maybe it was all this suds that was like rolling in from the sea on these uh, incredible vessels that they had. And maybe that yeah. was able to keep them a little bit cleaner uh, than your average slave in the galley below. But go ahead. Yes. So, 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 so this fellow, he actually was, you know, pretty hygienic. He was probably cleaner than a lot of other guys. So, so why is it that he didn't want to use a shower head? What does that have to do with being Amish? He he claimed that the shower head is a modern invention, and that's not the way that he's allowed to bathe himself as as a practitioner of the Amish Church. So, uh, so let's say let's say the pipe would have brought water uh, out of the shower, but it would not go into the spray like a shower head does. It would just like drip down like a garden hose. Would that have been okay? I'll have to ask him, but I haven't been in touch with him since he left prison. But that all, but he, but that, but I understand that also. He didn't, he didn't want to take a shower that way either. Even well, what he, what he would do was he would take like a, a shissel and a temple and the, kind of give himself a sponge bath, and he would fill up the water obviously with, with the with a sink. He just said he couldn't do so in the in in the. Um, under the shower my wife said that when she went to college there was a girl who had grown up amish and also had a similar practice so it, i i had some outside verification that this was indeed a an amish practice but it has nothing to do with the with the with the convenience of plumbing right it has nothing to do with the fact that the plumbing is is a modern convenience that brings uh, through the pipes, the water from the municipal system, right? It wasn't because that's going to come out of a sink as well, right? Right. So the yeah, fact that the fact that the plumbing, the fact that the pipes are arranged in in a way that they are now vertical and that the water comes out in a certain way, it's hard for me to understand how that is a greater violation of using mechanism or using modern techniques. It just seems to be a couple more strips of pipe uh, in a certain way, or is it? Or is it maybe the um, maybe the shower head uh, is is the one that maybe it's too luxuriant because it actually you know gives you you know the sense of pleasure as the the water spritzes out as opposed to using the water just as a means of cleansing the dirt off your body. Could that be what it is, or am I? Uh, I, 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 your your guess is as good as mine. You know, I tried to uh, 
I, I tried to figure it out. I, you know, I did a lot of research into it when I was, uh, when I was faced with this and, um, that was, that was the, that was what came out. I think we should also mention, and I know this from my research in Amish life. I've, I taught sociology. So I've done, I've read a number of books about Amish life. We know that, uh, like I said before, because they don't have a pope or a certain central authority, every little yeshuv has its own rules, and they are similar somewhat to the yeshuv down the street. But you you could be part of a certain Amish group within a certain village area in Pennsylvania and have halachos that are different than they are even a couple of miles down the road. And some of it is developed really on the ground by the elders in that area, right? So it's hard to find the Mesorah about that exactly, right? That's why well, I would assume it's... Because it, it's, I know the Amish sort of play a little bit, interestingly, that if it's, you know, they'll use... Like there's one telephone that they'll have, uh, like in, the, in some places, one telephone like in the central area in order for calls to come in, but you can't have your own personal telephone or maybe certain types, like a certain type of washing machine is allowed, but uh, another one is not allowed. So they have to sort of go through a whole chachma to decide which one is giving in to uh, laziness, which one is going to lead to just a, a lot more free time and more of the devil's plaything, you know, to, to erupt in their minds, and which one is a necessary item that without it you can't really survive. And I think they make the call differently in different areas. So I, I, I guess he probably wasn't making it up completely, but I wonder, since he was not an Amish before, where did he get this knowledge from, uh, this fellow? Well, he, he was getting interested into the Amish church before he came to prison. I think it was okay. around the time when he was arrested that he was already trying to become uh, to move from Mennonites okay so we had this request Yitzchok that the man uh and it's causing quite a a stir and stir right that that the man doesn't want to shower and that's like um you know and and he's claiming this religious reason which nobody understands and it's getting difficult the 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 guard uh the, the screw as they were called right although again that's not what you call them but the screw and stir what did he say? He wanted to, to bring the, 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 the chaplain in, and you got involved in order to somehow save him from a worse fate of being sent into some solitaire, which would have uh, jeopardized his chances of uh, getting out in the time which, that he which were Which were very close. I think he, he got out within the month after this story. So, uh-huh. it, so your intervention as a newbie, uh, was to do what? You actually took the case, and what did you do with it? Well, I interviewed him, and I wrote a whole essay uh, describing, you know, what his requests are and why I felt like it was a valid religious request, you know, based on it wasn't something that was just out of the blue, and it was uh, it wasn't something he just made up, and it wasn't, and it was a sincere request. Although they could make up their own religion. But it was, but this wasn't, you know, just one thing, and that was what his whole religion was based on—was not showering. But he expressed his religious devotion in other ways, and on account of that, that it should be honored. And I, I sent it up the pike through my supervisors in house, who all pretty much agreed. 
I mean, it, it came up because he was assigned to work uh, laundry duty and, and other inmates didn't want him touching their laundry if he wasn't showering. That's really, and, and that was where the, the you know, the, the fight came up about it and it wasn't an actual fight, but uh, the officer gave him a direct order that he will shower. And when he refused it, he said he refused it on religious grounds. And if he had refused it on any other ground than a religious ground, he would have, found himself uh, facing some kind of a punishment, whether it's uh, cell restriction or actually going to the hole, as they call it, the restricted housing unit, which could be solitary confinement, but generally is usually with one other inmate. Uh, you, you, you know, they, they usually will put someone in. Uh, two, so you were five, so you so. were taken by his heroism, by his nobility, by his belief, because obviously, you know, this was something he could easily avoid by just stepping under the shower nose nozzle but he stayed firm that he was yeah. not going to do that and therefore uh you took his case and you sent it to the powers that be i assume of course in the the state capital that wonderful ear of ambius role harrisburg pa right as much as uh you know people forget they think about philly and pittsburgh they don't realize the capital of the state is actually in harrisburg and uh, what happened when the request uh, was uh, dealt with by the head honchos in Harrisburg? Well, it, it didn't make it that far because he got out of jail before, <laughs> before, before. And I and I was just learning about how this process goes because I I had you know naively thought that well I'm you know was that's kind of how it works in the federal system where I had my experience before. Okay, was that. Uh, but it wasn't only the the heroism of him, but also the Rachmanis of the guard to 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 not to not send him down. You know, he really did care about this guy getting his parole and getting out of there, and that really impressed me more than anything. But as far as just from my own little research about the difference in the Mennonites and the Amish, the Mennonites actually um, do not have uh, as virulent of a record of anti-Jewish statements as we find uh, in Amish preachers and, and from the Pennsylvania Dutch. They are not, they're not big lovers of, Eng, of, of, Ameri- of English-speaking people in general, but they definitely are, 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 are no big friends of the Jews. Although in recent years, there was this um, uh, uh, Amish um, uh, Hasidish Hever out of New Square who are producing these eggs and uh, other types of dairy items that are being raised free range and things like that, which I hear are, are, are wonderful. So, you know, people many times think, uh, and it was very uh, underscored in Peter Weir's uh, film Witness, which I know you haven't seen, but in, in that film, of course, the, the little Amish boy who has witnessed uh, the murder um, uh, is, uh, is in the, uh, train station the central station in philadelphia and he approaches someone who of course we thinks is an amish elder but it turns out to be a chesidish yid reading a yiddish newspaper or a safer and it sort of underscores in many people's minds oh well you guys look just like the amish you know you, you have the same sort of look there's they're black they black uh and beards but really, if you actually uh, get to know some of those Amish elders, you'll realize that, that there's no love lost uh, between them and and what you know the Christ killers uh, that we are. I'm not saying that they haven't bridges have not been connected. 
besides the, the, the dairy, there's also an incredible uh, 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 connection between, there's a Lakewood uh, Froom entrepreneur who is working with the Amish builders to build um, uh, swing sets and other things like that for many, many uh, yeshivish families. So you know, the Amish and the Jews have, uh, I guess, have made up, but it's, I think it's a mistake to sort of fuse us together in any way, shape, or form. And I think it's a mitzvah to resist that. Um, well, you have you have the other way in another movie uh, in the Frisco Kid, where uh, Gene Wilder is yelling "Lansman, Lansman," and right. And the... That's sort of the opposite, where he, he where he meets an Amish fellow. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I always have a a a, a, a chavivas for that film because, of course. Not only was Gene Wilder Jewish, but so was Harrison Ford, who is who is Gene Wilder's uh, who accompanies uh, Avremo, right? I think Avremo, and that's of course my name, and he accompanies him to San Francisco. Uh, but I think the uh, the cowboy that accompanying him, Harrison Ford, of course, is also uh, a one of us. So there's actually two of these Eden there. Um, Adam Sandler at least said that he's a quarter Jewish, and he said that's not too shabby. So that was the. In the Hanukkah song, but actually he is a real Jew. Adam Sandler is not a. The Hanukkah song is not uh, is not based on Pesach Halacha. He, he goes with the conservative or reform thing that uh, you have to have both parents, and if only one parent is Jewish, you're only half a Jew. But I think Harrison Ford has a line directly, um, like Elvis Presley, also. Yeah, if that is if that's been confirmed. So let's talk a little bit since we talked a little bit about riots uh, in the beginning. We talked about uh, Amish. Um, uh, I always let you go first here. What do you have here for people besides um, what, the movie we just mentioned, The Frisco Kid? And I mentioned, of course, Witness, which is definitely a, a classic uh, film. It has one scene which you should avert your eyes for, where I think it's, um, I forgot who it was, John Travolta's girlfriend who, uh, who exposes herself. You should not watch that part. But generally, uh, the rest of the film is actually quite beautiful. And Maurice Jarre's uh, scored it. Marie Char, of course, is the uh, the person who scored Lawrence of Arabia, uh, an Academy Award uh, winner, and uh, he has a very beautiful score. It's an electronic score, but it's a very beautiful score for Witness. Um, so we have Witness and the Frisco Kid. You got some? Uh, let's let's hear what else we have here because I, I have to get busy when I when I write up the the notes. What other? What, what, let's give us. Let's try some other films here before we close off today. Well, there, there was a TV series called The Amish Mafia on the Learning Channel in 2013, which uh, actually the main star was a, a fellow who spent a lot of time in the in the Pennsylvania prison system, Levi. I never ran across him, um, but uh, that 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 show it was one of the aspects of the show was where they had some place where they were growing marijuana, and the uh, they claimed that the slang term that they used was green corn and so when i brought up with this inmate uh, i said oh you got to stay away from the green corn he, he had no idea what i was talking about and you know a lot of people told us that 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 show was totally fictional um and and uh like know, many of the reality quote-unquote reality tv shows they were um there are a number, by the way, a number of great documentaries. PBS did a very uh, wonderful documentary about the Amish. I think it was a multi-part one. And you could probably get it, Yitzchak, on YouTube or one of the places, the free places streaming. That's PBS's uh, 
uh, uh, and a lot of wonderful uh, statements that really make you think. Um, I think there's also a wonderful um, uh, documentary about the, the the massacre at Nickel Mines, I think it was, where um, this fellow uh, who was the milk deliverer for some reason went into the schoolroom and um, murdered um, the the children there, the 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 the, the Amish children. And uh, was finally uh, subdued by, I guess, the, I guess he committed suicide eventually, or the police killed him. And as you know, I hope I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know that they all were mochalim. They actually, um, the Amish community came and sent, well, they, they actually sent condolences to his widow. And they, uh, the money that was raised, they made sure that a portion of the money that was raised for the families who had been, murdered who had, who had murder had occurred to their children they wanted to make sure that the widow of this of this murderer was also not bereft completely or and again that that acts of chesed and mechila that are really beyond our ken and that's something which i think is on display despite their anti-semitism uh, they are capable of the type of uh, feeling and 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 being mochil in a way that I think is is is, is, is superhuman and beyond. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Anything anything else before I tell you my riot films? Because I know you don't want to talk too much about the riot that occurred there, because I know how much it hurts you, uh, considering where you know what you hoped would have happened in the election. But do you have any anything you want to add here? It, it almost seems like the other side uh, would have hoped that the riot took place. It's kind of. Uh... I don't want to get political, but uh, I guess, you know, without the riots, the Amish, uh, I know last week you you mentioned some music. Uh, I I remember when I took my kids, I think the first time to Hershey Park for Sukkis, or maybe the second time, uh, we're we're fans of Weird Al Yankovic, and one of my kids said, (laughs) is this an Amish paradise? Because of uh, Weird Al's song, Amish Paradise, which is actually... Not only a, a fun song, but the music video was quite, quite a talented music video. What, what, what is it? A, what is it a satire of? Amish yeah. Paradise, a satire of what? Of the gangster paradise. Oh, okay. And, uh, from Coolio, and it was, uh, and actually that was a, a whole machlekes because Weird Al was always very mocked to get rishus from all of the people that he's uh, parodying before he makes a, a show. That's why he never. He never did any of Prince's songs because Prince wouldn't give him Rashus. And he was under the impression that Coolio gave him Rashus and then uh, Coolio retracted the Rashus. But it was uh, the the uh, music video features uh, uh, Florence Henderson from the Brady Bunch and also makes reference to the Gilligan's Island saying uh, that it's primitive, like Robinson Crusoe as primitive as can be. And so that's, uh, I guess we can memorialize uh uh, Mary Ann, who just passed away last week, that I I I met her once at a at a, at a convention. Um, Wells. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, you know, you want to you a shout out. Last week it was Lenny Dykstra. This week is to uh, Don Wonder, Wells. The, yeah. the one the wonderful Don Wells, who was so perky, and uh, as I said to you, a great. Um, contrast to that voluptuous Jewish redhead Tina Louise, who played Ginger, and of course, uh, although I know this is beyond your Hasidic 
and Frumkite, it's almost a trope. What sort of girl do you really want to marry? Do you want to marry a ginger or a Marianne? And I think I think Marianne wins hands down in all these um in all these uh polls that are taken. And, and she was really generally a, a wonderful person. She was really just a, a nice person. She was very nice to my kids and to all the fans who came to see her. That was in Parsippany, New Jersey, a number of years ago. Uh-huh. A lot well, of fun. Well, she definitely, again, has become, a, a, through that show, was an icon in, in, in the consciousness of so many children of the 50s, of the 60s and 70s and 80s and everyone who watched it on these endless reruns. Um, okay, Riots. Two films come to mind. I didn't do a lot of research on it. The first one, I guess, uh, you got you got to go with um, White Heat, which I think is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's uh, Fritz Lang. And uh, I believe so. I think it's Fritz Lang. Um, I might be mistaken there. But it's Cagney at probably his ultimate role. May again, Cagney was great in the thirties and where he speaks Yiddish and other places. The young Cagney uh was incredible. You can see Cagney, of course, uh in uh in Yankee Doodle Dandy and other places. Um who has the song and dance man, the older Cagney and and and, and Mr. Roberts, uh and the, the decrepit Nebuch Cagney in ragtime. But if you want to see Cagney before he turned the corner and when he was still at the top of his game, White Heat, which, of course, does have a uh, a, a prison riot, I believe. And um, and uh, it really, in a way, indicates the different type of mentality, at least in Hollywood's eyes, of what life is prison is like. And I think what, what what I really want to bring out is somehow when the riot occurs, it's almost like the law isn't even there it's it's like the co's the screws whatever you want to call them during a riot during that moment of explosion or those moments of explosive action things happen which are beyond control and 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 when the riots occur um it's 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 almost like the warsaw ghetto uprising there is this incredible moment of power you know it's going to be uh turned away you know it's going to be put down but for the 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 the, uh, the time that it's happening these films capture the power of what this means for these for these men who are interred and have their rights stripped away from them uh and again you can see that the other film i would uh recommend that of course has a prison riot as part of it uh, is Jules Dassin's uh, Brute Force, a young, charismatic, steamy uh, uh, performance with, uh, by Burt Lancaster. But the but what I really remember for the film, and I'm sure this is a name that you know, Hume Crone. You know about Hume Cronin is of course he was married to uh, Jessica Tandy. And they were both incredible stars on Broadway, but also did a lot of film work. Uh, Hume Cronin is that was a super nice guy. He, he he was he was always playing the the most pleasant individual in the world. In this film, he plays against type as the masochistic uh, warden, uh, Warden Muncie in the prison. And uh, as the riot is occurring. You know, you can see uh, Muncie's evil and how it comes face to face with 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 you know the prisoner Bert Lancaster. Uh, it's really a, a a a film where you can you can tell you sort of feel taken up 
by the the power of what that riot means of Yes, in many ways, the people in power perhaps shouldn't be the ones in power. And the people that are wielding the power are in many ways uh, wielding it in almost as evil way as the, the people who are have been put down. And uh, it really brings uh, out, uh, I, I think, uh, the explosive and, 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 and emotional power of, of what occurs during, during these moments. Um, I mentioned I should also throw in, I know people aren't going to listen to it, another film, which I think this was Fritz Lang's film. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think you can look it up while we're talking here, Who Made White Heat, but I think, um, right, so as, uh, thank you for correcting me there, our producer. Yes, is Raoul Walsh, who, uh, who made White Heat, and um, the uh, uh, Fritz Lang was and I, I'm very sure about this, was the director and possibly the writer of a 1937 film, I believe it's 37 or 38, Spencer Tracy vehicle called Fury. And I don't know if you know about it, but I think it's a film you should see where Spencer Tracy is sort of like what we talked about last week, a, a fellow mistaken identity, where he is uh, accused in the town of committing a, a horrible crime where it's circumstantial. It's not really him. He is put into the uh, local uh, jail and then a mob uh, attacks the jail and burns the, 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 the local jailhouse, seemingly burning him alive. And then there becomes the court case afterwards where the whole town is now going to be put on trial for their involvement in the riot and many of the 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 movie really underscores how we can change and how what the riots do to us when that occurs and there's just like it's eerie just like all this the 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 homemade videos and things that were happening last wednesday um you also had uh in 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 fury Somehow there was newsreel footage going on, and at the trial, all these happy homemakers and regular mom-and-pop people from a Norman Rockwell little universe have to see themselves on screen yelling and screaming and and burning, and and, uh, the judge, of course, has to hold them responsible for where their actions are. So if anybody, again, those are films I think are very, very uh, suggestive of of, of what we all witnessed and hopefully should put it in perspective a little bit about, uh, about what sort of, you know, for those of us who are shocked, maybe a little bit of a sense of understanding, not, not, uh, no condoning, of course, Yitzchak. Yeah, I think everybody was shocked. I don't think anybody condones what happened. Uh, and I, and I hope the, uh, I hope the people involved, uh, face major consequences. I'm, because uh, I'm quite upset about it. But uh, the truth of the matter is, though, if we want to be intellectually honest here, you know, the fact that I'm working at, at SCI Waymart, the whole fact that Waymart exists is because of a riot. There was the riots in Camp Hill prison uh, because of the overcrowded conditions in Camp Hill that led to a number of other prisons being open. And that's why Waymart was, was uh, changed from being a mental hospital uh, the Farview Mental Hospital was 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 built and it served as for some ninety years or something, and then uh, 
and then it became uh, Waymart State Prison uh, as a result of, of a riot. So, that's, so, uh, so it's almost like Martin Luther King, I think, although he wasn't condoning the riots. It's sometimes the only voice of people who have no power whatsoever. And and it seems like that voice incredibly got heard in your case, right? They didn't just say the riot was illegal and therefore we're not even going. Uh, it, it was clear that we don't want these riots to continue and that ultimately, although many, maybe the people who started the riots who were violent in it suffered, what the rioters wanted to happen, change, did occur on the basis of those riots. It's it's an interesting thing. It's not not again not condoning in any way, and I'm certainly I don't I never want to be in the middle of something like that. Even though it's something you know we we get training on, you know how to deal with if, if something like that would happen or other cases, uh, hostage cases and other you know unexpected events like that. But we we prepare, but we we pray that it should never happen. And, well, let's hope that as you say, prosecution happens to the full extent of the law for those involved. And let us hope that the repercussions uh, do not re- rebound where they shouldn't. There should be a way of 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 of, of, of condemnation, moving on, um, and uh, you know we we shouldn't have to feel that this was an event that not only is a blotch on history, but it shouldn't scar us. It's one thing if it's a blotch. It's one thing if it's definitely something that to. Uh, but but I think Chuck Schumer's words about you know comparing this to Pearl Harbor, um, Schwarzenegger uh, comparing this to uh, Kristallnacht, I think it's important to put things in perspective. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely uh, hyperbole to go to go that far to to make those those comparisons, and that's that's almost more hurtful than than some of the things you know. At, at most, you know, if uh, I mean people did get killed. Um, but, yes, uh, and, and and we should try to have Rahmanis, especially on those Capitol Police Force. I know there's a GoFunding page uh, for that that policeman's family, and it would be a kiddush Hashem, I think, for people to uh, to contribute to that. And uh, I, I'm, I heard that the family said that it was that he was not a, a murder victim; that he had a he had some kind of underlying medical condition that that led to his death. That was what. I'm, I'm sure it did not help being in that situation and having to be in that pressurized thing, which, of course, um, shouldn't have happened at all. Anyway, that's our uh, I'll make a bad joke. It's been a riot uh, to be with you today. That's revolting. It, what? <laughs> that's, yes, revolting. that's revolting. Well, look, you are definitely, you know, we are trying to uh, do a revolution in podcasting here. And uh, we definitely want to break out of the usual yeshivish mold that sort of like imprisons everyone in a, in a certain way. And um, like I said, you know, um, whether it's the tipple or the shessel, the tipple, the, the teller or the shissel <laughs> or the showerhead, whatever it is, we'd like to be able for you to to enjoy a little bit of, uh, of, 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 of a tainug uh, with us. So we'll see you hopefully uh, next week with another episode of To Stir With Love. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 